0: Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time that we can come and study your word together. We just ask for your presence to please be with us, to guide us and lead us with your spirit, O Lord. And I pray that you would please help us to understand the message that you have, the words that you have for us this evening. May you guide us with your spirit that He may illumine our minds, and not that we just understand, but we'll have wisdom to know how to apply these words to our lives, that we might increase in faith this evening, and that truly we might know that we have been in Your presence and that You've been with us today. Thank You, O Lord, for You pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So. Our study for this evening is entitled Jesus' Encounter with the First Disciples. We have started a new series. This is already the second study of the Encounters with Jesus, a series of studies that my brother and I had written quite a few years ago. But as we're going through it, this is something that we study every Friday night. There are a few series that we have. We just finished Hebrews 11 together and I pray that you were blessed and um, this is our second study this evening, Jesus' encounter with the first disciples. Last week, we studied about Jesus' encounter with the devil. We started there because it was right after his baptism. Jesus went into the desert, into the wilderness to pray for his future ministry, to prepare himself personally for what God had sent him forward um, for the the work that he had been sent to the earth for. And of course, the devil came to tempt him at his weakest moment. And uh, Jesus would overcome the devil in every temptation that was thrown him with, it is written. And that was in Matthew chapter 4. Now, this is what we read right after the encounter in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4, 17 to 22. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishes of men and they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, a son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Jesus, he began to preach to start his ministry. He was preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was right after he was baptized and it's a similar message that we should be preaching today for truly the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Signs all foretell. One of those signs that we are seeing in a great degree today is what? Pestilences, right? COVID-19. And we truly see that the signs really in our days are much, much, much closer as every day draws closer, right? But you see, after his preaching, he calls the first disciples. And in Matthew, we get this big overview. He calls Simon Peter, who we know usually just as Peter and his brother Andrew. And then he calls also James and John brothers as well. And, uh, I see here that OBS has disconnected my software. I hope that it's uh, okay. Are you all there? If you're there, please uh, say uh, you can hear me or something like that. But it just disconnected. Okay. I hope you're all all, all able to follow. We're, we're back. But anyways, Jesus, after he's preaching, he calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John. All together, and these are the first four people that Jesus calls. They're all fishermen. In Matthew chapter 4, here we just see a brief overview, a brief encounter, and what we're going to do is we're going to go over to Luke where we are going to see more detail. So Luke, and we're going to start there in chapter 5, but we're going to end, uh, go to the end of this story so I can show you that this is the same story that we're looking at in Matthew chapter 4. It says here in Luke 5, 10-11, And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. So James and John, they were brothers who were called after Peter and Andrew, who were also brothers as well. But these four, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were all partners together in this fishing, quote-unquote, business, I guess. But the four of them were working together when Jesus calls them. And Matthew seems to indicate that Peter and the brother were called first, and then James and John. But we see here that they all came together together at the same time, okay? But now let's go back to the beginning of Luke chapter 5. What can we learn from Jesus' encounter here with the first disciples in their call from being fishermen to be fishers of men? Luke chapter 5, and we're going to go to the beginning now. Luke 5, verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. So Jesus at this time, as we knew from Matthew chapter 4, he was already preaching. He was preaching the kingdom of God. And he had only been a short time in ministry. He'd only just been baptized. We don't know how long, for a couple of days, for a few weeks. We don't know exactly. But as he began to preach, people began to flock to him to listen to him. Why? Because people had never heard such amazing. Preaching before, or in the words of what the Roman soldiers had said, man had never spoken like this man before. They—they they were captivating. They were thrilling their hearts. They were—they were bringing many people to repentance. Such power that attended the preaching was rarely heard. Yes, John the Baptist preached that way, but apart from that, this man was different. The messages that he brought was different, and so people were flocking to Jesus. They were hungry for the word of God. They were hungry to study. And so crowds would come in the days where there was no social media, in the days where people were not saying, hey, I'm in the area, please come. Jesus didn't have to call anybody. The word of mouth brought flocks and flocks of people to come and listen. And as Jesus was standing there, there were so many people that were pressing up against him made it difficult for him to minister to them, made it difficult for him to preach. So what did Jesus do? Well, Luke chapter 5 verse 3 tells us, And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. What did Jesus do? He got into one of those ships that were st- sitting there at the shore, and this ship just happened to belong to Simon Peter, or Peter as we know him. And he asked Peter to push away from the shore so that Jesus could sit there and teach the people and be able to minister to everybody. Had he not done that, he probably would have been able to minister just to only 25% of the people that were present because the crowd was just pressing in on him, and he would not have been able to preach to the people that were standing far back. Large crowds, large crowds. And so he gets into the boat, and he's able to teach and to preach from the comfort of the boat. Now look. Peter was helping the gospel cause. He wasn't preaching or teaching. Peter, just by letting Jesus into the boat, was helping Christ and the work of the gospel so that Jesus could be the one that would teach everybody. And you know, friends, at the beginning, Jesus doesn't always come to me, or come to us, I should say, and just say, look, I want you to teach. I want you to preach. Jesus doesn't always do that. At the beginning, maybe he's just telling you today, Hey, why don't you open your house? Why don't you open the doors of your home and let people come in? And then show them a video. Or get the pastor to come and teach or preach. Or or get your your neighbor or, or someone, your elder, whoever it is. But there is an importance of the gift of hospitality. Peter was allowing Jesus into his personal space. Peter was allowing him to come into his his boat when no one else had dared to enter. No one was there with him. They were cleaning their nets. They had done. But Jesus came into his boat. And maybe, maybe today, Jesus is asking you, why don't you let me in to your personal space? Maybe God is asking you, hey, if you want to help in the gospel cause, maybe you can't teach and preach. Maybe you can't be an evangelist, but you can open your home. Maybe you don't have a home, maybe you can bring the food. The gift of hospitality is a gift that is underrated in many ways. They say the power of the spoon does a lot of power for good. It is sometimes more powerful than the pen. But, you know, there is other work that we can get involved in that doesn't always entail teaching and preaching directly, but it is just as important to spread the gospel. Had he not gotten to the boat, Christ's ministry and preaching at that time would not have been as effective. But because of that, he was able to minister to the whole crowd that was pressing up against him. Friends, we don't realize how important this is. Many blessings we might miss out on just by closing the doors of our house you know it's tempting to do that why the gift of hospitality sometimes comes with a lot of work sometimes more often than not i should say not sometimes more often than not not only are you the one opening the door but you have to be the one that cooks as well isn't it and even sometimes after they cleaned you gotta clean again it's a lot of work and that's why I know some people, they don't like to have people over. Or maybe even sometimes, you know, we don't like to have people over because our furnishings are too expensive. Oh, if we have, you know, 20 people sitting on our couches in, in, in a couple of years time, my $10,000 couch is going to wear out. Well, maybe if we want to open our doors to have the gift of hospitality, we got to buy some cheaper furniture, amen? Or at least not be worried about having our furniture worn out and eventually really ruined. But the gift of hospitality, very, very important. Very, very important. But let's continue here, shall we? What happens after Jesus is done with his preaching? What happens? Luke chapter 5 and verse 4. And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a drought. Jesus asks Peter to launch out into the deep. Not only had the fishermen left their boats, they were cleaning their nets. You see that? But now Jesus says, hey, push out, go into the deep, and let your nets down for a drought. And that word drought there means for a catch. And so it's almost as if Jesus is saying, Hey, Peter, thank you for letting me onto your boat so I could, I could preach today. Now I want to bless you back. Peter, launch out and let your net down for a catch. And <clears throat> he not only wants to bless us, but he wants to make us a blessing. You see that? And in this case, it's reversed. Peter became the blessing first. And then God says, thank you, Peter. Now I want to bless you back. But this is the Abrahamic covenant, friends. This is what God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, when he asked him to leave his his hometown, his place of familiarity. He says in verse 2, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I want to bless you so that you can bless others. You know, <clears throat> in the case of Peter, he'd received the blessing already, but now Christ, he wants to bless him back. Peter, launch out into the deep. Let your net down for a drought. And how does Peter reply? Yes, sure, let's do it, Jesus. Definitely. Can't wait. Is that what he says? Luke chapter 5. And verse 5, what does Peter say? And Simon answering, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. You know, we would have thought, hey, this is Jesus you're talking about. Sure, this is the Savior of the world, right? But they didn't know that, that yet, you see. They didn't know that that was Jesus and the miracles that he could do and how all nature was at his command. And in fact, you know, Simon begins to give reasons as to why that was probably not such a good idea. What did he say? Master, we've worked all night and caught nothing. We have worked all night. I'm tired. I've I, I've done finishing, washing my net. That's what it said in verse 2. That they were sitting there while Jesus was preaching. They, they were sitting there. They had come in from the sea, and they come in and put their boats to, to shore, and they were sitting there washing their nets. And surely, by the time Jesus was done, they would have been done washing their nets. So, you know, from all human reasoning, from logic, this request that Jesus was giving just did not seem like a good idea. Number one, we worked all night and caught nothing. Number two, we're done with washing the nets. I mean, Jesus, you're not even a fisherman. Well, what was Jesus' background? He was a carpenter. That's what his, his father Joseph was. And that's what he had grown up doing, being in the father's workshop the whole time. Sure. The dad might have brought Jesus for for fishing here and there, and he might have, you know, gone on a boat to to fish, you know, like how people like to do it as a hobby. But a fishing rod is very different to a fishing net. You know, fishing rod for a hobby is one thing, but fishing net to to have a business and to survive and to feed your family, that's what you needed to catch enough fish to, to, to help your family to sustain itself, right? And surely it would not have been enough. Jesus, what do you know about fishing? And then on top of that, we have nets. We don't use anything else. Once you throw the net into the water during the day, the fish will see the the shadow of the net. They'll all run away. They won't come. From all human reasoning and logic, it just did not make sense. It didn't make sense. And so we can probably understand the reluctance that Peter had. Jesus, we've been working all night. We caught nothing, absolutely nothing. And there was reason enough not to listen to the advice, the the, the command from Jesus. However, Peter did not stop there. What else did he say? He said, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. This word, nevertheless, this word, nevertheless, is key. Do you know what this word, nevertheless, means? It means, moreover, it means, but. And you know, when we do how to study the Bible, the word but is what? It's a contrast. It's a contrast. This, 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 and this happens. But. But. You see that? So, Jesus, we've fished all night. We've been working all night and we caught nothing. But, and that's the key, friends. You see, Peter presented logic. He presented enough arguments to convince anybody not to go and listen to the command of Jesus. And I think probably nine times, probably 9.9 times, 99 times out of 100, the people would listen to the logic of Peter and not go and throw out their net again when they'd been fishing all night and caught nothing and they were ready to go home and go to bed. But. You're just a carpenter. But. It's, the sun has come up. But. I'm tired, Jesus. But. All the reasons that Peter gave, he contrasted it. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Nevertheless, that single word showed Peter that even though he didn't agree, he would give it a try anyways. Even though he was doubtful, he would give it a try. He would test the Word of God, out of respect for him as a teacher maybe, because he saw how powerful Jesus had been preaching and convicting men's hearts. At the respect that I give you as a teacher of the Word, Jesus, I'm willing to give it a try. Certainly one that seemed to possess such power, he kind of been totally wrong, right? And so even in the midst of all that logic, Jesus, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. At your word, I will let down the net. Even though he was doubtful, he still went ahead and obeyed. You know, friends, we learn a really, really important lesson here on faith. Even though there was doubt in Peter's response, he himself did not allow himself to to stop him from testing the validity and the power of Christ's Word. You know, sometimes we sell ourselves short of a miracle. We present all the facts, all the evidence, why something can't work, why it's impossible. And then we stop right there, without ever trying, without testing, without stepping out in faith. And sometimes we don't even give Jesus a chance. We let doubt and logic get the better of us. And really, it's logic and then doubt, right? But too many times we look with our human eyes and we think with our human brain and and we we tell ourselves, it's impossible. This can't happen. Not in this day and age. And we give out reasons, the culture that we're living in, the country that we're in, you know, in, in Malaysia, this majority is Muslim, you know, it's difficult to baptize. And, and we say all sorts of things and, and we sell ourselves short of how God can work. But that's the key word that we got to learn. I'm not asking you this evening that you have to have 100% faith. You've got to be full of faith that you're ready to just do and die for Christ. No, but you've got to be willing to test God. To step out. Nevertheless, nevertheless. Luke chapter 5, 6 and 7. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. Can you believe that, friends? They caught so much fish that their net broke and both the ships, so Peter let down the net, the net broke, we tried to pull it in, his ship began to sink, the other boat came over, James and John, and they tried to help and put some of that fish and the, the weight on their boat too, both ships began to sink. Can you believe that? This was a catch of a lifetime. I mean, we're talking about seasoned fishermen here. We're talking about people that are grown up on the sea, not someone who's doing fishing as a hobby. These people, they do fishing for a livelihood. They know the limits of their equipment. They know how much is needed and what they've normally caught, right, on the seas. And their equipment was not sufficient enough for the catch that Jesus provided for them. You know, they didn't have the right tools and their net broke because they had lack of faith. You know, when you go to the end, after Jesus has resurrected and the disciples, they go back fishing again, right? And the same situation happens again, and Jesus says, throw your net on the other side, and they they catch this great amount of fishes, but this time the net doesn't break. I believe that net translates to their lack of faith, or their faith that had grown later on in the later years, after Jesus had been with them for three and a half years. But their net broke because they had a lack of faith. And they missed some of the blessing. But look, Did Jesus reward the little faith that Peter had? Oh, yes, He did. Nevertheless, at Thy word, I will throw it down. And you know, friends, we got to learn to have a faith as a mustard seed. We can't be content to leave it there. But the mustard seed must grow and, and, and take root and then grow up to be a big tree. At this point, Peter, Andrew, James, and John their faith was just simply so small, even though they were willing to step forward. But yet, God gave them such a huge miracle, so big that the net broke and the ship began to sink. How many of us miss out on the miracles of God just because we're not willing? to try. Peter, he'd grown up as a fisherman all his life. He'd never seen so much fish before. At least not in his catch. Maybe other people had bigger boats. But their capacity only brought so much. Ah, you might argue that maybe the net was old, that's why it broke, but the boat began to sink. This was the reward of the little faith that God that Peter had in the Word of God. And, you know, Peter realized that. Why? Look at this. What happens after? When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him, at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. You know, the blessing came as a result of the Word of God. And Peter realized that because he knew that he had so little faith that when he looked at how little faith he had in Christ and then he looked at the catch that was given, it was not he wasn't deserving of it. He knew that he was doubtful. And so when he saw all that was taking place, his heart was overwhelmed and he fell down at the feet of Jesus and said, Jesus, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. But yet he held on to him. Isn't it so interesting? Depart from me, but please don't go. He realized that he was in the presence of one more than just human. And he knew that he couldn't let go and lose his blessing. You know, how many of us realize that our lack of faith really is sinful sometimes? That we think, hey, It's just a small little word of God. You know, this isn't the Ten Commandments. Peter, launch to the deep, let down your net for a catch. Would it have been salvational? It could have been. Why? Well, if you're not willing to obey in the little things, how can God trust us with the bigger things? You can see where Peter started here. You can understand how he eventually walked on water. His faith was still not a little mustard seed. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to be righteous. And God, He always tests us in the little things. In the Word of God, beyond the Ten Commandments, is given us instruction on how to live. How to live the fullest life. And I want to challenge you to test The Word of God. I want to challenge you to to test God's Word in even the littlest of things. From health, our diet, how we live, how we dress. God's given us instruction for everything. In the smallest of things. He has given this all to us for our blessing and for our happiness and for our joy and our fulfillment that we can live a life of abundance here on this earth. But it's got to start somewhere, friends. And I'm telling you, if you're compromising on the little things, you're certainly compromising on the bigger things. Because it doesn't get easier to obey the Ten Commandments when you can't obey the little things that God has given you unless you think, hey, it's not important. But Peter didn't see it that way. He said, depart from me, Christ. I'm a sinful man. He knew he didn't deserve this blessing. He knew that that he didn't deserve this, this gift of this big catch. But he was so glad that Christ didn't leave. And that he was so glad that Christ rewarded his faith because of what? Never the less because of that. He still applied the word of God, even though he didn't have a strong faith. And today I'm not asking you to have a faith of the martyrs. I'm not asking you that you have to have the the faith that is strong as a a cedar tree or an oak tree that the winds blow and nothing moves and it doesn't doesn't even look like it's shaking or, or moving in the wind at all. But God, he's asking you to start small. He's saying to you, Psalms 34, verse 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Christ, he's asking you to taste, just to try, just to test. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5:21, he says, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Jesus is the one that's inviting you. Test me. See if not, I'm going to prove myself true or not. But too many of us, we miss out on the blessings because we don't want to test God. We don't want to try Him. We get too distracted. Oh, we're willing to try different foods, try different clothes, try a different job, change our studies. We try many things. But why not try and test Christ? See if not, He will bless you. We've got to test Him, He says. Prove me. And don't stop testing him. Don't stop short of that. Try it, nevertheless. But, sure, you may reason out why you shouldn't do it and how it could possibly not even work out like those fishes. They could not be caught with all human power. But it doesn't matter. Test Christ yourself, nevertheless. It doesn't matter what I know. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter. Just try, out of respect and love for Christ as our Savior. Just test him, see who is true or not, see if he's real. But you know, Christ didn't stop there. He called them to be his disciples, and so there was really one last test. You got to understand this. Their ships were sinking. This was a catch of a lifetime. You know what when they're looking at that fish they're not thinking I'm going to have a good dinner tonight right that's not what they were thinking they were thinking money 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 I can support my 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 family now uh, I I I don't have to work for 2 months maybe 3 months 5 months half a year I don't know Now I can buy that 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 horse or that cow or that you know I can add an extra room to my house now I can do that renovation that I was thinking of for so long all the things in the mind began to oh i can do this and i can do that i can do this and i can do that but then christ says what luke 5:10 and jesus said unto simon fear not from henceforth thou shalt catch men what would you have done in peter's position now i can buy a bigger boat i can get a new net Jesus, just wait, let let me be financially free. Let me be able to support myself so I don't have to rely on you and uh, I'll come follow you. He was a test. Christ had just provided for them a catch of a lifetime. Christ was now telling them, give it all up, come and follow me. He had proven to them, I don't need your money. I don't need your support. I can support you. With one word, you don't have to work for months. With one word, you can make the whole world rich. Jesus proved to Peter, I can support you, but are you going to trust me? When they brought those ships to land we already know, they forsook everything and followed christ they didn't just drop it all but in mark 1:20 i'm sorry the text is not on the slides there it says straightway when he called them they left their father zebedee this is john and james's father in the ship with the hired servants and went after him they didn't even clean up they left it all to the father the call was too urgent and important and the call today is still just as urgent and just as important. And to many of us, we've forgotten that Christ, He gave us the blessings so that we can be a blessing. And you maybe think that Christ has not given you enough blessings this evening. Maybe you think that you need a car like your neighbor's. You need a house like your neighbor's. you got to have so many Digits in your bank account before you feel confident to follow God? Has God proven Himself worthy of your trust that He can support you, that He can take care of you, that you don't need to worry, but that you can go forward not having to worry about money and go forward in faith to serve Him fully with the whole heart? You know, I want to share with you. Um, my journey of this past seven years, being here as a pastor in Malaysia, I never thought about having Bible workers, to be honest. The, the reason why I came back was because David called me and says, Hey, we need help with running a Bible school. Can you come back? And I love to teach, so I came. And it was after the first year that we had our first Bible worker, who's still with us today, and, and shortly after that, a second, is Alex and Nunuk. So our first two Bible workers at DAC there. And uh, we began to have a Bible worker fund. You know, I had gone preaching the year before and people had donated to me, but I didn't see fit to keep this money. I put it into the church account and I knew that God was going to provide for us now. And uh, two Bible workers wouldn't have to worry too much. Um, you know, at that time, the expenses were low. But then the money kept increasing. Two Bible workers. Four Bible workers, seven Bible workers. It went up to eleven, then it went down again and I was like, sighing, sighing a sigh of relief. Why? Because all the Bible workers that we have are are, sourced, are, are supported locally. And I used to worry a lot about finances. I used to th- I used to get stressed out about it. You know I, I, I remember attending this class. Um, one of the pastors from Andrews came and taught us in a master's class. And he said, never ever worry about money from the church board level. All the decisions you ever make should never be factored into about taking into consideration finance. And I knew that at the back of my mind. But, you know, just stepping forward is so difficult, especially with Bible workers. These are people's lives, you know. We've got to make sure we take care of them. And at every place, I'm trying to tell the Bible workers, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. And even sometimes I find myself doing it today, you know. But this year, we have 15 Bible workers. 15. And I'm learning to trust God. I'm learning to let... (laughs) I'm sorry, Yen, if you're watching, but I learned, I learned to let my treasurer worry about it. In fact, I don't look at a Bible worker fund too much. I, I maybe look at it once every few months, you know, and get an update about how much we have in there. Um, but I praise the Lord that God has been providing. And I praise the Lord that God has been touching the hearts of people that have been listening to, to give and to help. But, you know, friends, we should never, ever, ever make decisions based on money especially when it comes to the Word of God, especially when Christ has made it so clear that He'll take care of you, especially when He's the one that gave you the blessing. And then He says, now give it all up. Follow me. Our lives, we got to be preparing for that day, for that moment. The rich young ruler, hardly shall a rich man enter into heaven. It is so true. Because We have to sell all and give it away. That's what Zacchaeus did. But the rich young ruler went away sorrowful because his heart was tied up with all his possessions. It was so difficult to give up everything. You know why it was easy for Peter? It was easy for his brother Andrew and James and John? Because they didn't have much to give up. They didn't have the world's attachments in their lives. And so it was easier. And it's not that Christ only accepts the poor. He accepts anybody. But it's just it's difficult for the rich man to give up everything. But how much are you willing to give God a try? I'm not telling you that you've got to sell your house today. But look, if God has been telling you that, by all means, apply it as soon as possible. Some of you might have to give up your studies. Others might have to give up your job to serve God, yes, to serve Him. But every step of the way, there's there's evidences of God's provision for us. It's not about how much you earn. It's about where your heart is. And so, look, Some parents, maybe you're not so happy. Hey, you don't want my kid to give up studies. Ah, look, at least finish high school, okay? At least finish high school. Even the big tech companies today, they're not asking for degrees. They care about what you can do. And you can learn to code from a young age and, and, and join Google or Apple or whatever big company that might be out there. You don't need a degree. Even the world is not looking at that anymore. Why should we, right? But look, you've got to make sure you follow where Jesus leads. I hear the logic. I hear the human reasoning. I hear what my parents are saying. I hear what my friends are saying. I hear what my counselors are saying. I hear what the pastor is saying. But what does Jesus say? What is Jesus saying to you this evening? And where is He guiding and directing your life? I pray that would be like the disciples of Christ because they have gone out to make disciples of all nations. And the three angels' messages and the gospel that we preach is to make disciples of all nations as well. But that work is going to be accompanied with sacrifice. It's going to be accompanied with a lot of faith and trust that Jesus will still take care of you even though you give up everything for Him. What will it be, friends? Are you willing to test God? Are you willing to test His Word? Step out in faith. Today, if you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I want to pray for all my brothers and sisters who are listening to this. I pray that you would give them courage. For Lord, that's what they need at this time. Courage to follow you. Courage to test your word. Courage to put into action the words that you are asking them to follow. Lord, after they see all the logic, help them just to still test you to try you, to taste you, to prove you. For Lord, your words are not only commands, they are promises. Promises given to bless us. To bless us. So Father, please, I know that there are some, and there are always some people that are listening, that are in the valley of decision. I pray that you would speak to their hearts so tenderly. Help them to see that you're still calling them even now. And give them the courage to step forward in faith. Lord, I surrender my life again to you. I know that I need to come up higher in my walk, in my journey, in my test of faith with you. Strengthen all our faith today, Lord. Give us the resolve to follow you all the way to the very end. Is our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name.